Good morning. My name is Kelly, and our scripture reading is from John 11. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. John 11, verse 1 through 7. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is to come into this world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus loves me, this I know, 
For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. We are weak, oh, but Jesus is strong. All right, so we... So if you're visiting with us today, we are thinking about the true identity of Jesus, according to Jesus. And today we come to this really powerful, astonishing claim that Jesus makes uh, in the face of a a young man who had uh, been four, four days in the tomb. And Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, when you, when you hear that, you think, surely, this is going to be a sermon about the uh, power of God. Uh, and yet, here I, I start with this song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. What, what could that be about? Well, when you read the whole story, and if you listen to Kelly carefully as she was reading, you will see that every encounter, though it surely is about the power that we see in Jesus, every encounter shows us that that power was exercised within a relationship of love. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I'll just walk you through parts of this. It's all in John chapter 11. Uh, If you look at verse 3 near the beginning, uh, Lazarus had been sick. The sisters sent word to Jesus about their sick brother saying, and notice what they say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it wasn't just Lazarus. Look at verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And as all this is playing out, when you get down to verse 33, when Mary is weeping after Lazarus has died, when Jesus saw Mary weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And then, as everybody was watching this, the observers in verse 36 would say, they saw Jesus weeping, and they said, see how he loved him. Now, again, I know that John 11 usually is a a text that is used to talk about the power of Jesus. And in fact, just two years ago, Easter 2015, I used the text for that purpose. However, today, I, I think we have to see that there is a blend of things here that we need to see together. Because really, it raises this big question, how, how could both of these things be true? That Jesus loves and he has power, and then when that is true, that he allows those he loves actually to suffer and even to die. It, it really is a problem. I mean, even in the story itself, you see that this is an issue. Mary and Martha both raise the same issue. They say, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How could you love him? How could you have the power that you have and let this go on? And again, the the observers, as they looked at this thing in verse 37, you can read it. How is this? Could not this one who had opened the eyes of blind people, like in John chapter 9, couldn't he have kept this man from dying? So this is what we're going to think about today. Um, This issue of how uh, God can be the kind of God we believe in, both loving and powerful, and allow those he loves to go through such hard times go through such difficulties, and even to have to face death, how does that fit together? It's one of the things, the question that some people say keeps them from faith in God, this problem of suffering. 
It's what makes many churchgoers often stop going to church because you, you go through such hard times and you wonder, where is God in all of this? Today, I'm going to come and tell you that these two things that Jesus is showing here in John chapter 11 are both true. He is powerful and has power and control over everything in this world. He is absolutely loving. And the thing that I want us to focus on in particular is this reality that I've often seen, that when we look at how the world thinks about love and how it plays out in this world, and then we see actually how Jesus thinks about love and how it plays out in this world, they're often very, very different. And one of the things that I have learned and continue to learn is that the love of Jesus is better in every way. If only, if only we could see it from his perspective. I'm going to try my very best to help us to do that. There are a couple of things about the love of Jesus here that I want to drive home to you. The, the first one is this, the, the wisdom of Jesus' love. The wisdom of Jesus' love that sometimes Jesus waits. Look at verses 5 and 6 again. So, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Do you think that that's a strange beginning to the story? Lazarus is sick. His sister, knowing that Jesus loves Lazarus, sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. But then when, in verse 5, Jesus heard Lazarus is sick, he intentionally stays two days before going. You don't look like you're surprised by that. I, t- I think about that. I-, I can see any one of us, and I hate to tell you, I can see even your pastor saying, I know that person has a problem, but I'm busy right now. I, c- I can't get over there right now. I can see us say, how can we understand Jesus doing that? And I want you to know, I, I don't know what version of the Bible you have with you, but the one I have, it's in NIV. The way it translates this is spot on right. Jesus loved Lazarus, so he waited. That isn't the way we think about love. The Bible here says the thing that motivated Jesus not to go and deal with this problem was that he loved Lazarus too much to step in too soon. I've I've been thinking about this all week. I think this is an important passage for us. It just makes me think, I mean, I said, well, he knows more than I do. He must have some, something in mind that I can't really see because he delays because he knew that true love for Lazarus would mean he can't step in too soon. Now, I'll tell you this. It's become very clear to me that there's something being taught in John chapter 11 that you and I have to put into the way we look at this world, our worldview if we're going to understand what it means to walk with God in this imperfect world. John 11 tells us something that many people just don't want to come to grips with. It tells us unmistakably that people who genuinely love Jesus and are genuinely loved by Jesus go through indescribably difficult trials. And in those situations, Jesus does not always step in immediately to change things or to heal things. And I've experienced this. I've shared so much of this with you throughout my life. Uh, In the time when our daughter died, in the time when my brother died, uh, sometimes in the midst of those times, it feels as if 
Jesus is deliberately waiting as we cry out to him for help. Now, the key to all this is in verse 4. And if you'd like to mark or highlight anything in your Bible, it's hard to do that. with Some of you can do that with your phone. You'll have to teach me how to do it someday. But if you can, that is a verse that I want you to mark because I want you to come back to it because Jesus says this. It's the key. He said, this sickness will not end in death. Uh, so the, the goal of this, where this thing is, the end of this is not going to be death. No, this thing has a greater end. It is for God's glory. That's what he says. It is that God's Son may be glorified through it. What Jesus is saying here is he sees something and, and he intends something to happen here that will reveal the glory of God, which really just means the way God is, the glory of God. What's going to be made known is something about God, something about his love, something about his power, something about his justice, something about his wisdom. He says he sees something that even though if he had come in and stepped in and healed Lazarus immediately, it would have revealed that Jesus has, has power over sickness. But he says there is something greater about God that's going to be revealed in this. If only you will trust me. And I love Lazarus and Mary and Martha and all people too much to step in too soon because there's something greater to be seen. That's what he says. So I pulled back and I asked, what is there about the love of Jesus that we see in him waiting here? And I, I've thought about a couple of things. The first part, I think it's very personal, is that Jesus waited out of love because he wanted Mary and Martha and Lazarus and all the people who saw that and all the people who hear of this story, even now that means you and me today. When you hear of this event, you will know that death is not the end of everything. And that even if death comes, Jesus is greater than death. Jesus demonstrates here that there is nothing in this world that is beyond his power and ability to make a difference, even the greatest enemy of all, namely death. I've just, I've just got to tell you this. In this difficult world, you and I need to know that. If we're going to have peace when the difficult things of this world come that go beyond our control. In this story, I mean, you know this, that Lazarus, even if Jesus had stepped in to heal him, Lazarus still would have died. And, and even after he raises him back to, to life, Lazarus would die a second time. He did, didn't he? Lazarus, are you here today? I think you made it. And Mary and Martha, they were going to die. And I, I hate to tell you this, your pastor is someday going to die if the Lord tarries. And you are too. We need to have a perspective on, on this matter, this reality of death that we in American society don't even like to talk about. I'll tell you, I've been to countless funerals and memorial services in my time. Sometimes there, people who attend are followers of Jesus. Many, many times those who come to the services are not. Let me tell you, for any thinking person, when you go 
to a memorial service, there is always one big question that is there in your mind. We may try to blot it out, but, but, but you really can't because that big question is there. Here, if you're from another country, uh, here in the United States, we have all these rituals. So we have this, uh, many times you have the casket right up there in the front, and sometimes the casket is open. And so you're sitting there, and everybody looks, and they're trying to ignore the real question, and they say things like, doesn't he look natural? Doesn't, didn't that embalmer do a good job with him? Uh, aren't those flowers beautiful? You're asking all these things. You're trying to get your mind off the real question that is there. And what is the real question? He was here yesterday. He's not here today. Where is he now? What happened to him is going to someday happen to me. Is this all there is? Isn't that the question that we have to ask? And Jesus here out of love for Martha and Mary and you and me is telling us this life is not all there is. There is a life beyond this life. There is nothing in this world that you and I have to fear because Jesus declares, I am the resurrection and the life. By Jesus waiting and allowing Lazarus to die, I mean really die, not like Princess Bride, mostly dead. Four days in the grave, really die. And then bringing him back to life, he is declaring to us that he is the Lord over anything in this world. Out of love he waited. But there's something more about this love of Jesus too that is there. The love for Jesus, I think the main point of this is this. Jesus loved them so he waited is that Jesus wants us to know that God has loving purposes in all that he does and the purposes that he have often goes beyond our human understanding. I'm looking out here. Are you with me on this? It, It means that anything that happens in your life or in mine, it may seem to be senseless to us, but God is there God knows what he's doing. He has a loving purpose that goes beyond our human understanding. So you and I go through hard times. We know, don't we? So last week, if you weren't here, I shared my own diagnosis of having cancer. Um, Since that time, I'll just tell you, I have experienced the love of this church. I hope all of you experience being enveloped by love uh, as as I have, and I know that, that Chris has, so... And many of you are going through far worse things than I am. I have heard so many of the stories. So when those things happen, a diagnosis that you're not happy with, uh, something like Mary and Martha were dealing with, a loved one is dying or is going to die, the loss of a job, just relational difficulties, when those things happen, uh, intuitively, just as human beings, we think, well, if there is a God, I want to come to God. And what, what do we want God to do whenever the hard time comes? Don't we want him to take that thing away right now? Get rid of it right now. And God, your glory can be seen in all of that, we think. And then we show up at church, and and this preacher who's up there in front of you has has the uh, audacity to give you this cliche, but you know that God has purposes that go beyond what we're seeing, so just trust him. And you say, that's a (laughs) cop-out. We want to see the glory of God right now. But I'm up here and telling you without shame or without reservation that that is true. That God knows what he's doing. 
And even when he brings a difficulty into your life, it is not outside of what he is doing. He uses that thing to further his glory, making known to you and to others his love, his, his power, his justice, his wisdom. God is at work in these things. This famous verse, I cite it for you all the time. Romans 8, 28 tells us that. The Apostle Paul would write, we who follow Jesus, we know something. We know that God is at work, right? He is at work in all things. How many things are in the all? Remember that for just a minute. He's at work in all things for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he's, he's at work for the good. To bring about something that you and I could, could never imagine. So, so I, I've had to think about it. We love that verse. We memorize that verse. But it is one mind-boggling verse when you think about it. All right, that God is at work everywhere in the world, throughout history and what will yet come. He is work in all things, working all these things together to bring about something that is good and beautiful. Do we have any project managers here today? Can, can, do you think you could do this? The, the very thought, I can hardly pri uh, manage a project in my own life, much less everything in the entire universe and in all of history. And yet that is what God declares, that is what we believe, that in his wisdom, and it is unlimited intelligence and power and love, he is working all things for good. And I'll tell you, we often are looking for, well, what good thing is going to come out of this? And I'll tell you, the good things are more complex than you and I in our limited human perspective can ever see. Uh, there's often more than one thing that he is doing through what he is allowing to happen in our lives. We just can't see it all, and we have to learn to trust him in the midst of this. Sometimes, sometimes we can, after it's over, we can look back and say, yes, Lord, I, I see what, what you were doing there, and we see maybe one little piece of it, but I'm telling you there's a whole lot more God's doing than we could see. In this John story, I've got to show this to you. There is one piece that it makes known to us when you read the rest of the Gospel of John. You're with me here, aren't you? I, I, I don't want you to miss this, but, but you've got to be alert and awake. You're up there, balcony, you're with me here, aren't you? Okay. Amen, up there? Yeah, okay. Let me show this to you. When you read the rest of the Gospel of John, we see how God is going to work this thing for something much bigger. Not just that he was going to heal Lazarus and bring him back from the dead, but something much bigger. So, if you look at verse 48, you will see that the Jewish people who were there, and there were many of them there when Lazarus was there and after he had died, but when he was brought back from the dead after being in the tomb for four days, many of the people who didn't believe in Jesus said, oh no, everybody's going to be so thrilled about this. They're going to say, we got to follow this Messiah. We're going to overturn Rome. And look at verse 48. They said, hey, when Rome hears of this resurrection of a man dead for four days, they will come and destroy our whole nation. And the high priest, Caiaphas, heard them say that. And in verse 50, he said, you're right. It is better that this one man die than that our whole nation perish. Uh, I don't know if you're with me, but this miracle, Lazarus being raised from the dead, is the miracle that gave courage to the leaders in Israel to put Jesus to the death. Some of them had wanted to do it before, but right now they said, listen, if we don't do something about this man, 
Our whole nation is going to be persecuted by Rome. And so it all started, and from that point on, you can read in John, this is the miracle that started the crucifixion. Now, now when you think about it, the death of Lazarus being brought back to life was one of the all things that God was going to use to be able to bring together the, the death of Jesus and, and what came about because of the death of Jesus. Has anyone benefited from the fact that Jesus died on a cross? It brought the benefit to every one of us. It brought the opportunity for forgiveness and eternal life. And it was all started. God could have found another way to do it, but this is one of the all things that God was working together for the good. Uh, again, he could have made his glory known in a different way. By, by healing Lazarus before he ever died, by, by simply raising him from the dead and then leaving. But no, he had something much, much bigger to do. And I'll contend to you if you're listening to me. I contend that this is always the case when you suffer. When it happens, like Mary and Martha, you're often frustrated. It makes no sense to you. I contend that there is always the God who is here who is working something that is bigger and more wonderful than you could ever see. We can't see it from our limited perspective. What God asks you to do in those times is to trust his love, trust his wisdom, and to walk with him by faith. I thought, what is this like? Chris is sitting down here on the front row. Um, Chris is really good with her hands. Um, she really wanted to marry somebody who who builds houses, and then she married me anyway. Um, so we're one of those families where, where uh, she did the plumbing and I read the stories to the children, just to kind of let you know. So I'm just telling you, what she does, she does well. Um, when we were first married, we lived in Germany, um, and she was making a lot of my clothes. And one of the things she was doing at that time, she was doing a lot of knitting, and she was knitting me a sweater. And I, when Chris makes things, they're always just really good. Uh, she's does things pretty perfectly. But one day I'd been away doing a series of concerts and coming back and she'd been working on this sweater and as I walked in the door, I saw that sweater and quite frankly, it was a mess. I mean, there were loose ends there. I mean, I could kind of see some pattern in all of this stuff, but I think Chris could see the look of my face and she looked at me and all that she said was, you're looking at the wrong side. You're looking at the wrong side. Any of you who knit, you know what happened. So she took it and flipped it over. And there was that beautiful order and design that was there. It became my favorite sweater that I kept wearing until I absolutely wore it out. And in many ways, that's what I'm trying to say to you today. From our limited human perspective, the things that we see happening to us in our lives, they look like they have frayed ends and it looks like, well, we might see some pattern, but I can't quite see it. And even though we can't really yet see fully from God's perspective, he asks us through a text like this one to learn to trust that he sees more than we do and what he sees is that he's working this for your good and for his glory, for his glory. I've called this whole thing the wisdom of Jesus' love. And what I mean by that, and I'll write it down in case I haven't said it clearly today, that Jesus in this situation with Lazarus was wise and loving enough to wait so that his own path to the cross would be made open. He was wise and loving enough to refrain from alleviating temporary suffering 
to provide for abundant life. He was wise and loving enough to allow for this physical death to happen in order to make eternal life available for the world. I'll tell you, if you and I put ourselves into Martha and Mary's shoes, we would have found it hard to understand why Jesus would have let this happen, right? But now you and I can look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I'll tell you, when we believe that Jesus loves us, and when we believe that he is who he says he is, he's wise enough to know what is best, that he's powerful enough to do what is best, and that means anything, then our lives can change. You, you can pray diligently. You, you can trust confidently. You can wait through the pain expectantly. And I hope that you'll obey fully until in God's time you see his glory. That's the first thing, the main thing I want you to take home. There's a second just brief thing I want to take home before we go to communion and that it's not just the wisdom of Jesus' love but I want you to see something about the empathy of Jesus' love that often Jesus weeps. I've been told my whole life going to church that John eleven thirty five is the shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, Jesus wept. I, I think it really is. It's an easy one. You can memorize it. You want to try it? <laughs> you have to. It's short, but it is so profound. And to understand how profound it is, you just got to go back two verses to verse 33. What, what evoked this in the life of Jesus was he saw Mary weeping. He saw her sorrow And then at the end of verse 33, this is what we read about it. When he saw her tears, it moved Jesus in his spirit, and he was troubled. It's very strong language in the original language of the Bible. It was language usually used for somebody who rides a horse. If any of you are equestrians, you'll understand this well. You're riding a horse down the path. Something darts across that path that that horse knows shouldn't be there. And what does it do? I have a picture to show you. It bucks. It snorts. And what it is saying is, that shouldn't be here. That's the word that is used for what happened when when Jesus saw Mary weeping and saw the reality of what death does in this world. He said, that shouldn't be here. And that is why I have come to end those tears, to end that sorrow, and to end death itself. And he knew that soon he would demonstrate his power over death. And yet, knowing that soon he would do this great miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead, he still weeps. I I can imagine almost the way I would think about it. I would think, you shouldn't really be weeping here. I'm going to do a pretty good miracle here in just a moment that's going to change everything. But, but, but instead of him having this sort of a, an attitude that says, wait until they see the miracle I'm going to do, when he saw people that he loved filled with sorrow, when he saw Mary weeping, his heart was so bound to hers that Jesus wept. No other religion says this. 
Every other religion, the deity that other religions have is so remote and so distant that there's no suffering for the deity. It makes people suffer, but the deity doesn't suffer. But that's not true. When we see Jesus, we see the suffering Son of God. We see our suffering Savior whose heart is bound up as much with yours and with mine as it was with Mary's and with Martha's. He knew, though, though he was the Lord of the universe, the, the uh, sovereign over all of history, in charge of everything, and we are just so small, right? Specks in this universe, really. He knows us and loves us as if we were his only, only one that he has to love. Today, I don't want you to, to miss that. And I can't send you home without this either. If you're going through a hard time and you're just weeping inside, when you see Jesus weeping with you in your pain, I just want you to know that weeping isn't all that he does. It, it isn't just like so many times the way we are. We, we'll weep with you and then we'll go home. No, Jesus weeps with us and then he says, I'll continue to do life with you. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And in my time... I'm going to step into that pain and I'm going to change it. I'm going to bring about a world where there is no more suffering, no more tears, and no more dying. And that happens here in the story, doesn't it? Jesus walks up to that graveside and he shouts out to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. And he actually does come forth. And I'll tell you, that's our hope. That is the promise we hold to. That we will too someday in his time see the fullness of the love and the power and the wisdom of Jesus. And if you believe that, if you believe that, I urge you in the light of this God's word that whatever you are facing today, I want you to learn to trust the loving wisdom of Jesus enough to wait for him in the midst of the hard time. That's what I'm praying that I can do as well. I want you to learn to do that. As you wait, remember that Jesus is with you and he weeps with you. And as you weep and wait, never forget, walk in the confidence that in his time, Jesus will change things. He will not leave you where you are. That pain will end. And the pain will end in life. Just as it did right here. When, when our powerful, wise, and loving Savior waits in the midst of our sorrow, he is doing it because he loves us He's doing it so that we will live, not just a few extra days, but forever. And he declares, I do what I do out of my love, out of my wisdom, and I'm doing it so that whoever lives and believes in me will never die. For I am the resurrection and the life. And then he asked the question that I'm going to leave you with. He turned and he said, do you believe this?